Thank you.
Good morning. Oh, y'all are so chatty. You can do better than that. Good morning. There it is. Welcome to Northminster Church this morning. I'm glad that you are here, whether you're joining us in person or online. We are honored by your presence. We often say here at Northminster that the best thing we can bring to worship is ourselves. So thank you for bringing yourselves today. It is good to see you all. Uh, If you would, please pass the worship registry down your row. It is on the inside aisle of of your row and just fill out uh, your information for us. It helps us to know who's here and worshiping with us today. We promise not to show up at your house, but we do like to know who's here with us on a Sunday. I also want to say a special word of welcome to anyone who's visiting with us. We are particularly glad that you are here. uh, And whatever brought you to us today, we are honored by your presence. So thank you for being here. One big announcement is VBS starts this evening at 5.30. Beth, did you want to say anything in particular? Okay. Um, And as you look at your order of worship today, I want to say a couple of things. The first is to thank Pearson Cross for filling in on piano today. Hope you all enjoyed those jazzy preludes. He's going to be uh, providing music for us through the whole service. So thank you, Pearson, for sharing your gifts with us today. Uh, We also have some people joining today. That's why we have some visitors, some family members here. Uh, That will happen as it did last week after the communion response. So ignore that asterisk. I know you're all very well trained, but ignore that asterisk and have a seat when that communion response is over. And those folks will be joining the church this morning, which is very exciting. All right, now let's take a deep breath together. And we do this every week here at Northminster because it helps us to just settle ourselves into this time that we have together. We're not really good in our society about slowing down or taking time for our body and our hearts and our minds to all catch up to one another. But let's make an attempt this morning. So take a deep breath. Allow that breath to not only fill your lungs, but let it reach all the way down to your toes. Close your eyes if that's helpful. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list. Breathe out those summer travel plans that still need to come together. Breathe out any distractions that would keep you from being fully present in this moment. Breathe in again. Know that you are loved by God just as you are. And then if you would, please join me in our call to worship that's printed on the front of your order of worship. For the beauty of the summer day. For the invitation to love and be loved. For time set apart to nourish the soul. For all these things, we give thanks. Let us worship God.
Got a lot of young friends today. How is everybody? Okay, I need to ask your forgiveness. I've got to talk to the adults for just a second, and then I'll come back and we'll get started, okay? Uh, Parents, I forgot to mention in the announcements, the scriptures today are very much adult material. Um, So if that is not something you feel like you want your kids to hear, and you want them to go back to the back, after this would be the time to send them. So if they stay and there are words that you need to explain to them later, this is your warning. Okay, you guys ready? Thank you for letting me do that. I'm going to show you a picture, and I want you to tell me whose house this is, okay? And if someone would raise their hand, that'd be really helpful. You haven't even seen the picture yet. This picture. Okay, when I say I need you to raise your hand, you also need to wait and give me your answer once I call on you. Ricky, whose house is this? That's the White House, and who lives here? CJ? George Washington? No, not, not anymore. Who lives here? Joe Biden. And what is he? He's the president. So this is the president's house. Okay, I'm going to show you another one. If you know what this is, raise your hand and wait until I call on you, okay? We're very excited today. Anybody know what this is? It's not just a castle. Don't say a castle. It's a very special castle. It's not an orphanage. Anybody know what this is? Do you know what this is? You know what castle this is? It has a special name. No? Anybody else know? Do you know? It's a German name. Do you know? (laughs) No. But it's a very famous castle. It's called Neuschwanstein Castle. And it is one of the most famous castles in the whole world. About over a million people go there every single year. And some people call it Cinderella's Castle and say that Disney based their version of of Cinderella's Castle on this one. It's based on that. Okay. I have one last picture to show you. Raise your hands, please. Whose house is this? Anybody know? You don't know? Ellery, do you know whose house this is? No? This is a good guess, though. Anybody know? Parker, do you know? No. What do you think? It's not a church. It's a palace. No? Whose is that? It's Buckingham Palace. And who lives in Buckingham Palace? I'll tell you. It's the King of England. They have a king now, so it's the King of England. So, the queen passed away, and now her son is the king. So, it's the King of England. So, if you were to walk into any of these houses, these really big, fancy houses, what do you think you would see? Would it be really nice on the inside, do you think? Do you think it'd be really clean? Do you think there might be expensive art on the walls? Yeah, especially in Buckingham Palace. The floors might be slippery and you could skate on them. It could be. Um, Outside, there might be tennis courts or basketball courts or large swimming pools. So who do you think takes care of these houses? Do do the people who own them take care of them? 
No. Do they have people who help them take care of their houses? Yes. My guess is they hire people to help them take care of these houses because they're just so big. Maids and maybe butlers and things like that. So let me ask you this. Who takes care of your houses? Your moms, your dads? Do you all help take care of your houses? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Okay, your grandmas. Okay. And when things break or things are dirty, who helps clean up? Do all of you help clean up? Do you put your toys away and put your clothes away and clean things? Okay. So it's important that we... It's important that we take care of the places where we live, right? Do any of us like living in dirty houses? No. No. Okay, so tell me another house that's really important for us to take care of. A castle if we had one. The church. That's right. Raise your hand for me next time, though, okay? It's important for us to take care of this house. This is God's house. And we have to take care of it in a couple of different ways. We want the building to look nice, We want the building to be clean, right? I came in the other day. There was a dead bug on the floor. Yeah. And our cleaning company comes in and cleans that up for us, which is really good of them. I'm afraid of the bugs. That's a good question. I should have. But I am afraid of the bugs, so I let the cleaning company do it. But you're right. I should have probably done it myself. So we want the church to stay clean, But there is another way that we take care of the church, and that's by taking care of the people in the church. We take care of each other. Because the church isn't just a building, the church is also all of us. So think about how could you take care of somebody in church? What could you do? You could help them? What could you do? Okay, help them be good as God. What do you think, Ellery? Okay, what do you think, CJ? It could sweep. Okay, what do you think? Yeah, be nice to people. That's a big one. Yes, Parker, what do you think? Keep the church clean. What do you think? Keep people company, especially if they're sad. That's a good idea. What do you think? Okay, let's talk about it after church, okay? What do you think, Ricky? How can we take care of people at church? Okay. How else can we take care of each other? Any ideas? Not arguing? Loving them? Holding doors open if people need it, if their hands are full? Being nice, that's right. Okay, I'm going to take two more ideas. So, what do you think? I, I think, um, if your hands are good one. What do you think, sweetheart? He took yours. What do you think? Okay. So, those are all really, really good ideas. But what I want you to do this week, especially while you're here, is think about ways that you, in particular, can take care of other people here at church because that's also part of taking care of the church itself. Make sense? Something you can try to do? Okay.
Hands down, it's time to pray, so everybody turn around, face the congregation, sit on your bottom, please, keep your hands to yourself. And I will say the first line, you say it back to me nice and loud, adults, you are welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. Oh, holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. Thank you. reading from Hosea. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said, Go, marry a prostitute who has had children as a result of her prostitution. Do this because the people in this country have acted like prostitutes. They have been unfaithful to the Lord. So Hosea married Gomer, daughter of Diablam. She conceived and gave birth to a son. The Lord said to Hosea, Name him Jezreel, because soon I will, <clears throat> I will punish the family of Jehu for the people he killed at Jezreel Valley. Then I will put an end to the kingdom of the nation of Israel. And at that time, I will break Israel's bow at Jezreel Valley. Then Gomer gave birth to a daughter. The Lord said to Hosea, Name her Lo-Rahamah because I will not show mercy to the nation of Israel any more, nor will I forgive them. But I will show mercy to the nation of Judah. I will save them, but I will not use bows or swords or war horses and soldiers to save them. I will save them by my own power. After Gomer had finished nursing Lorahama, she conceived again and gave birth to a son. Then the Lord said, Name him Lo Amai, because you are not my people, and I am not your God. The beginning of a difficult story for us to wrestle with. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together.
Loving God, bring stillness to our hearts, empty our mind of other things, and direct our thoughts to those who especially need our prayers this morning. When we reflect on how you have supported and cared for us in the past, we cannot fail but to give you thanks. When we consider the way you have given us courage and help for each new day, we are filled with a sense of gratitude and praise. When you lift us from the pit of doubt and despair, our whole being feels renewed and refreshed. What comfort it is to know the love and support you bring to us through your Son and by your Spirit. In our joy, let us not forget those this morning who know little else but sadness. In our sense of gratitude and praise, let us not forget those whose lives are filled with regret and heartbreak. In our feeling of support and guidance, let us not forget those who feel they have struggled against life difficulties and disappointments alone and uncared for. In our desire to give you praise, do not blur our vision of the hardships in this life, the despair of the homeless, the feelings of guilt by parents who cannot feed their children, the worries and fears of those in the hospital, the isolation of the lonely, the deep sense of loss to those in bereavement. Heavenly Parent, strengthen us while we live out our life on this earth to show the compassion and the caring of Jesus. Hold before us the reality of your kingdom where there is no suffering, pain, or regret so that we may share it with those who are without hope. For we ask these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
A reading from Hosea. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Gomer has many lovers, but you must continue loving her. Do this because it is an example of the Lord's love for Israel. God continues to love them, but they continue to turn to other gods, and they love to eat those raisin cakes. I bought Gomer back for six ounces of silver and nine bushels of barley. Then I told her, you must stay at home with me for many days. You will not be like a prostitute. You will not have relations with another man. I will be your husband. In the same way, the people of Israel will continue many days without a king or a leader. They will be without a sacrifice or a memorial stone. They will be without an ephod or a household god. After this, the people of Israel will come back and look for the Lord, their God, and for David, their king. In the last days, they will come to honor the Lord and his goodness. The continuation of a difficult story that requires us to think. Thanks be to God. be honest, I don't know what God has against raisin cakes, um, so we can all be in the dark about that together. Uh, I also want to say before I begin, you might be wondering, if you've never heard this story before, why in the world am I choosing to preach on it? Um, it's because many of you probably don't know this story or have never heard it before. For obvious reasons, a lot of preachers steer clear of this. It is not a happy story. It's not even a necessarily positive story. But if we're going to struggle with one part of Scripture, I think we should struggle with all parts of Scripture. So I know this is not a happy, joyful sort of reading. Uh, we'd all probably prefer something much better from Jesus. But this is part of the biblical text, and we're called to read the entire text. So that's why we're going to tackle this one today. Now, if you would, please pray with me. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. Am I real or am I allegory? If I am real, the meaning of my name is almost prophetic, an early indication of where so many have assumed my life led. For Gomer comes from the Hebrew word gamar and means to complete or bring to an end. It's a rather tongue-in-cheek moniker for a woman who's been dismissed by generations as a harlot, a fornicator, a whore. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I am not a perfect woman. It's possible I have not always been faithful to my husband. In my male-dominated world, this is a shocking first-class offense for men have the absolute right, the absolute right, to the sexuality of their women. I have been branded as the worst kind of woman for so long and so often that it matters very little that the root of the word in Hebrew, zin, which your Bible translates as whoredom, commonly refers to either a promiscuous person or someone, usually female, who is merely displeasing in some way. 
For years, your interpreters have created elaborate, sensational backstories for me. In the 20th century, scholars describe me as a temple prostitute who had sex with the priest of the god Baal as part of a fertility ritual. There's no evidence for that. And I suppose it's unimportant that there is no evidence for that in the text. I also suppose it's unimportant that scholars now know that prostitution is not part of my people's religious practice. It seems I will remain a pariah, an example for other women to avoid. Even your modern novelist can't resist my story, transforming it into a sweeping romance during the California gold rush. It's called Redeeming Love, if you haven't read that book. Soon, uh, my story, well, my story has been made into a movie, also called Redeeming Love, and reinforces the message that I am a poor, misguided woman who needs saving by an uncommonly patient, God-fearing man. At least, I hope it comes across so generously. But how does my story change if I do not share my body, but am merely displeasing to my husband? Does that remove your visceral reaction to me? Does such knowledge ease your emotional response to hearing me described with such loaded, ugly words? The truth is, my story is told in snatches. Bits and pieces are woven together for my husband's prophetic purposes. I am the mother of three children and play a central role in Hosea's story. My history, my actions, and my very person are a source of stress and contention for my husband, yet you never hear my voice. You have no access to my perspective. How do I feel about marrying Hosea? If I was honest, would I own up to promiscuity or know only that my husband finds me displeasing? If I'd been given a choice, would I have named my children? Did I care about my husband, who was tasked by God to wed me? And if I am real, how do you respond to the second chapter of my husband's work? If you read it, you will see his threats to withhold my food and clothing, to expose the most private parts of my body in public. You will hear the end of my laughter and hear him threaten to destroy my vineyards and my orchards. In short, Hosea makes no secret of his plans to humiliate me as compensation for his own public loss of honor. It's helpful if you understand the most insidious parts of Hosea's plan for you to know that I, as a battered woman, after being punished, after being abused, would be seduced by the husbands of Hosea's friends, as is outlined in the second chapter of his book. Battered women will also be pursued by their husbands, as I am in Hosea's third chapter, pulled from the new beginning I was making as I had freed myself of his control, but he brought me home anyway. If I am real, can you settle your heart after hearing my story, or do I make you uncomfortable and unsure? One more story in the Bible you don't know what to do with. Is it easier for you if I am an allegory? Now, to be fair, most modern scholars don't believe I am real. Not a living woman, but more a literary device, the minor prophet. Remember, minor doesn't have anything to do with the prophet's importance. It has to do with the length of the book. 
that this minor prophet, Hosea, used to describe the intimate relationship between God and people. Writing in the 8th century BC from Israel, the northern kingdom, remember, Israel's in the north, Judah's in the south, Hosea's prophetic voice sounds at a tumultuous time. This is after the death of Jeroboam II, and Israel is plagued by several assassinations from its kings. It's plagued by court intrigue. It's plagued by imprudent political uh, alliances. It's dealing with the Syro-Ephemerite war and incursions into Israelite territory from an Assyrian leader called Tiglath-Pleser III. In the next few years, Israel will fall into Assyrian hands, and it's into this political instability Hosea is living and speaking. He struggles. He struggles with what he sees as the Israelites' perversion of their religion as they chase after the Baal god, uh, the the Canaanite god Baal, who is a storm god. Hosea can't tolerate what he sees as the people abandoning Yahweh, or at minimum, making other gods Yahweh's equal. So he creates me, what scholars call a literary motif, or a prophetic marriage metaphor. This is not a new approach. The prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel use this tool as well. But Hosea's metaphor is particularly vivid as he casts himself as the husband, as God, and me, the unfaithful and promiscuous wife, as the people. I'm going to say that again, it's important. Hosea's metaphor is particularly vivid as he casts himself, the husband, as God, and me, the faithful and promiscuous wife, as the people. Now, this metaphor wouldn't necessarily be problematic if I was created as Hosea's equal, if our marriage, real or allegorical, was entered into willingly. But as you know, in my world, men have all the power. And marriage is not about equality, but ownership. I am not given a voice or a choice in my union to Hosea, and I am painted as unfaithful from the first. Hosea, on the other hand, is faithful, a noble male character who lowers himself to marry me. Woman bad, man good. Woman sinful, male divine. If I am allegory, then the picture I paint is one of misogyny and patriarchy. If I am allegory, the picture I paint is one of a people in an abusive relationship with God who relishes their suffering. And while later in Hosea's work, God's frustration and hurt give way to her constant unbreaking love for the people, I remain. Neither a real woman to be mourned, nor a workable allegory in your time of female equality and the continued dismantling of the patriarchy. So then what am I? There are no easy answers to this question. How do you live in the tension such stories as mine create? How do Hosea's words and writing make you feel about God? What can you possibly take from my story? Well, perhaps my, fully, my story fully examined 
can serve as a reminder that Hosea's words are ancient and culturally driven, and you do not have to communicate across the same gendered lines. The prophet created me to drive his work and develop a metaphor people could easily understand. Along with this work, he, continued, he developed an outlook through me that paints women as sinful and in need of saving by long-suffering men. If such rhetoric is not understood for what it is and reserved in its historical context, you run the risk of wildly unequal and unhealthy comparisons to be drawn between men and women. In other words, leave it in its context. And if nothing else, my story serves to remind you to acknowledge that there are voices in your own world you don't hear. That's why I tried to put Gomer's words into the story this morning, not to speak for her, not to assume that even if she is only allegorical, that I understand the life of ancient women, but to remind myself of all the voices I don't hear, all the voices it's more, comfor- more comfortable for me to allow to blur into the background as noise. As commentator J. Blake Cooey says so well, this passage encourages us to reflect on who gets to speak for themselves in our society and who has to identify and who has their identif- identity defined for them without getting to weigh in. Let me say that again. Commentator J. Blake Cooey says this passage encourages us to reflect on who gets to speak for themselves in our society and who has their identity defined for them without getting to weigh in. Do we treat them as real or uncomfortable allegories? My friends, it's time for us to be quiet and listen.
As we come to this time of communion, we remember that this is the table of the heavenly feast, the joyful celebration of the people of God. Christ invites everyone to eat of the bread of life, to drink of the cup of the new covenant, for Jesus tells us, I am the bread of life. Those who come to me shall never hunger. Those who believe in me shall never thirst. In the beginning, God provided every plant yielding seed and every tree with its seed and its fruit for food. And then when the Israelites were in the wilderness, God fed them with manna from heaven. Later, when the crowds were hungry, Jesus fed over 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. And when two were walking on the road toward Emmaus, they recognized the anointed one in the breaking of the bread. Now, this is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guests, and Christ is the host. There is a seat here with your name on it, so kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. We are on holy ground. All are wanted, and all are welcomed here with our doubts, our shortcomings, our failures, and our griefs. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated. You are overwhelmingly wanted and welcomed. Thanks be to God for a love like that. And now if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The night before Jesus died was a solemn time around that table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, he would be seized by those in power. But before he was taken, Jesus introduced this simple meal to his followers. For even though he knew the end was coming, Jesus joined with those he loved. And as the night lengthened, he took a simple portion of bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he shared it with them, urging, remember me. And in the same way, when the meal was over, Jesus picked up a cup, he filled it with wine, and during his blessing of it, Jesus reminded his disciples that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. And so we gather around this table to receive and to remember. Amen.
as I mentioned, we have uh, a few folks joining the church today. So Patrin and Missy and Amanda and Chelsea and Amanda and Megan, if you will all come up front with me, please. Y'all come stand right over here. Face, yeah, you got you to gotta face them. <laughs> I promise nobody will bite. So as you can see, we have quite a crew today. Uh, Patrin and Missy, how long have y'all been coming to church here? Long enough that, okay, long enough that none of us were, uh, knew that they weren't already members, so quite a while. There we go. And then Chelsea and Amanda, how long have y'all been visiting? Since March. And then Amanda and Megan, how long? Do, we, do you remember? Feels like you've always been here. So these wonderful folks come today to ask to be members of our congregation. Of course, I know the answer is yes, but if you will affirm them and support them and walk with them in this journey, will you respond by saying, we will? We will. Wonderful. I have paperwork for you to fill out, so don't leave today without getting all that paperwork. But we are blessed and honored and so excited you are officially part of the church now, so welcome. Everyone will love you when the service is over, I promise. Thank you so much. You can go back to your seats now. And now, if you would, let us rise and sing our final hymn. We can... Complete- 